Welcome to the CGRB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we'll learn from Arvin Lowen why he spent over 400,000 kilometers on a bike going across Canada for a great cause, helping kids in need in Kenya. Also, Matthew Lehman, he's a Manitoban. He's really good at table tennis. He just got a big scholarship. He goes to the U of M. Find out why he decided to take up table tennis as his sport. And 25 years ago, infamous anthem performance at the Las Vegas Posse Home Opener. You know the one. We'll remember. We'll reminisce on the podcast. And I'm joined in studio by Arvid Lowen, who has spent a lot of time on a bicycle going across our country and other countries like the U.S. as well. Thanks for joining me in studio tonight. Thank you for having me. And uh, we'll start with this. You're getting the Order of Manitoba this week. Congratulations. How does that feel? Well, it's a huge honor. I feel I'm very, I was surprised. I didn't know this was happening. So, so uh, it's, uh, it's humbling and it's, it's uh, yeah, and it, it involves a lot more people than me because my family, especially my wife, Ruth, is very much involved in what I do. So, yeah, I think it will continue to be a big help in, in the ambassador that I'm trying to be on behalf of Destitute Kids. So I'm mm-hmm. very thankful for that. So let's talk about that. Molly's family it does work in Kenya coming up on 30 years. Why did you get involved in this organization? After I got into cycling, after a very successful amateur soccer career that ended <laughs> up with a number of concussions, I got into cycling in a pretty serious way. And ultramarathon cycling does take a lot of time because I spent a lot of hours on a bike. And it didn't sit that well to me, so I wanted to do something with it. And I came across an organization called Muli Children's Family, run by Charles Muli, a former street kid, abandoned by his family at age six, eventually got a job, became a multimillionaire in Kenya. Then 30 years ago this year, he gave it all up and started taking street kids into it. I got involved with that organization. I asked him to send me three kids, age 12 to 14, to Canada, I bought a tandem bike, cut off the rear pedals, put on a comfortable seat, and in 2005, in an event called Spoke 2005, the Canadian Safari, I transported them 7,000 kilometers across Canada, thinking that was a one-off. It gave those kids an opportunity to tell their story on media, national media, TV. We did a lot of media interviews because it was unique. Um, and then my wife and I, we went to visit there, and that's where we became convicted with very specific instances mm-hmm. as to this was just the beginning. It was not the end of what we did. And so then I f- came home and I said, well, how can I duplicate the exposure? There's no way I was going to transport another person across Canada or anywhere else because of the, the responsibility that goes along with it because they were not participating. They were just dead weight in the back. Right. So then I decided to take uh, ultramarathon cycling to an elite extreme level and create a platform that that and that way. So that's that's why I do what I do. And how much time have you spent on a bicycle in the last 15 years? Oh boy, I don't, I'm not I'm not sure how much time, but exactly. Well, I've let's cycled. Let's talk in, mileage. Let's talk mileage. In the last 15, 15 years, or actually since '95 is when I got into biking. I did it for personal reasons, but I've biked about 450 kilometers since that time. So 450,000. Yeah, 450,000. Sorry, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> How many times have you been across the country? Across the country, I've been four times across Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've um, still hold the Guinness World Record for cycling across Canada in 13 days, 6 hours and 53 minutes. Thir- 6 hours and 13 minutes. That's, uh, yeah, that's what I got here. Yeah, I think out. that's what it is. So that, what that Less means than two is, weeks across Yeah, what Canada. that means is I'm on a bike somewhere between 19 and 20 hours a day. Goodness. 
uh, sleeping about 90 minutes to 120 How? minutes a night. So it's pretty brutal. It's It takes you into a an area that most people are w- not willing to go. Which, did you go from... I go west from east? I go from west to east because supposedly there's predominant westerly winds and okay. so so I set the record in 11 I tried to break the record in 12 was 700 kilometers ahead of my record pace no I was 5 hours ahead of my record pace with 700 kilometers to go when I had a complete mental and physical collapse didn't set the record and then in 2016 I was going to try it one more time and I crashed uh, in, so I rode the whole time with the, one side of my mm. body completely in road rash. So, and then I've cycled across Canada, the U.S. two times, and from Dead Horse Alaska to Key West, Florida. Every one of these events is simply a platform to promote the organization that I do and to raise funds for them. Because that would be the question when people hear you say you had a complete physical mental breakdown on the road. Why do you put yourself through this? Very simple. There's no way that that I would be able to put this kind of effort into something if it wasn't for a much bigger cause than personal challenge and satisfaction. You know what? It's not that important. But cycling is really not that big, big deal in the picture of life. But right. you know, in these 15 years that we have now done it, done this um, work or volunteer work on behalf of them, we've raised well over five million dollars for Muli Children's Family, who today have three thousand five hundred kids in their home. They call Charles and Esther Mooley, mom and dad. And then it's 30 years and that 15,000 have graduated and gone through the organization. And an important stat, because we deal a lot with this kind of stuff here in Canada as well, an important stat is that 92.5% of those who graduate from Mooley Children's Family, you've got to remember, they're rescued out of the slums. They're rescued. They're basically outcasts of society. Yeah. Become successful or make, make a go of it in society. So rehabilitation is possible. It's every day. It's evident that's what they do. And what kind of feedback have you heard from people there about what you're doing here? Well, of course, we you know we've heard had a lot of feedback, obviously, and I've been there four times. I think I've been there. So to just simply verify what what I am representing. I mean, we have a lot of people that are supporting us, us or supporting them financially on our behalf. And so, of course, I have to report back to them and say, yeah, this is legitimate. And uh, we're, I'm going to be having those kits that I took across Canada in 2005. We are bringing them back to Winnipeg here at the end of my 15,000-kilometer event, which is all happening on lot between Hodnot and Lockport on Henderson Highway. So I uh, know every single crack in that road. <laughs> I've, I've been up and down about 350 times, and I think I have about 150 to go yet. So. Okay. So Are they you going to be, be taking them on the bike again? No, I don't have that bike anymore. <laughs> okay. And I think by now they're 27, 28 years old. So they're probably harder. a little bit heavier than they uh, were in yeah. 2005. So. I guess it would be, yeah. So uh, you have a website as well called Grandpa's Can. Mm-hmm. Why did you uh, decide to, on that name? You know what? When we when we started this and when I got into it for a fundraising purpose instead of just for personal satisfaction, our three kids who got married within 16 months of each other also started to having kids in rotation, and we just kept getting more and more grandkids and grandsons. And so uh, somehow at one time I came up with the idea that, you know what, grandpas can still make a difference in the world. And so that's where the, the name came from. And you said grandsons because the coincidence of the family is that... We Yeah, our, our own biological grandchildren are all son boys, and uh, they were... Born every six months in rotation. You couldn't plan. Man- I come from a manufacturing background. You couldn't pl- plan a schedule better than that. And so then, uh, after those nine boys were born, our oldest daughter and her husband 
got into long-term foster parenting. And so we are now blessed that they also have uh, two girls that they have in, in their family and uh, one little boy as well. So, And they are in age just below ours. So we start from one year as the youngest to nine years as the oldest, 12 kids. They all live within five minutes of our home. So we're we're busy and we're very happy to be busy. So when you're not on a bicycle. That is a lot of time spent with them. Yes. Absolutely. So you're in your early 60s. Is there any kind of message you're trying to send to other people your age that, you know, obviously not biking 400,000 kilometers, but just to get out there and try to do stuff? Yeah, you know, it's you got to put in a lot of work into into whatever you're trying to do. And and to me, if you're finding a passion that something that you're passionate about, I believe it's okay to put 100% effort into it. And to me, I'm so fortunate to be able to combine a passion for physical challenge, the biking end of it, with a cause that to me is worth it. I would not be able to do this if it wouldn't be for the cause. It gets pretty ugly at two o'clock at night, you know, when you're dealing with rainstorm, facing in the winds, and there's absolutely nothing appealing to being on a bike at that time. It's a commitment, but the life lessons you learn on the bike in a two-week crossing of Canada, those life lessons you can apply in the rest of life where it really makes a difference. Cycling isn't that big of a deal in life. How fast are you going over the course of those 13, almost 14 days? Is there a pace you're trying to keep? It's an effort I'm trying to keep. You got to remember, I'm starting. I started on Vancouver, so we got the mountains to cross, and mm-hmm. then we got into the prairies. Prairies can be much worse than the mountains, depending on which way the wind direction comes. I believe in 2011, I tried to keep track on it. I think my average cycling speed on bike cycling speed was 25.7 kilometers per hour. Okay, overall average. So, do you listen to music, or is it just you and nature? It's it's I do listen to music. I uh, now in the fifteen thousand kilometers, I have a little transistor radio, so I actually listen to to talk ra- radio a lot. But unfortunately, I do I, I'm doing three hundred thirty three kilometers per day now, and I'm done before you get on the air. So so <laughs> I I only heard you when I did a I did two five hundred kilometer days. So okay. then I was on air when when I was on the road when you were. On air. Well, so. at least you got part of us. That's I got not part bad. of it. Yeah. So I'm just curious when you're, you know, at three in the morning and it's just you. Do you ever, do you ever fear for your safety on the road? Well, on all these events where I, where I go for, for time like that, I have a support vehicle. Okay. So there's a vehicle behind me. I, I literally do nothing else. I eat, sleep, and ride. That's it. Okay. And so they look, they feed me through the window. They give me whatever I'm asking for. I basically don't get off the bike much. So I get get some extra support. All my training rides, I also do training rides from Winnipeg to Vancouver and back. But I usually don't start before 6 in the morning and I finish by 9 o'clock in the evening. Okay. So I'm off the highway before it gets dark. Who's in your support vehicle? And quite Almost always it's my wife. Quite often it's been one of our kids. And But because it's... You know, they have their own families. We also have friends mm-hmm. and that who have are very supportive of what we do. And uh, so they're a big part of it. When you mentioned the Order of Manitoba, it's not me. It's <laughs> it's my family, especially my wife, Ruth. And then, of course, uh, the dozens of people who believe in the ministry, who believe in what we're doing. And uh, so, yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's been a joy, privilege, challenge. There's nothing easy about it, but it's very rewarding. Well, congratulations again. It's a huge honor to get the Order of Manitoba. If people want to keep track of your journey upcoming, what are they? where can they go? Grandpa's Can? Grandpa's Can.com. This weekend I will be going to Oregon. 
uh, just so that I had something else to focus on than Henderson Highway. I, in Oregon is where I qualified for Race Across America the first time. Race Across America is recognized as the world's toughest bike event. Wow. It gets ugly. We go right <laughs> through the desert. It gets 50 degrees Celsius. Ugh. We climb up to, I think it's 14,000 feet through the Colorado Rockies. Uh, there's almost always about a 50% dropout rate. Oh and only about 350 different people have successfully completed RAM. So, And you're one of them? I'm one of them. I've done it twice. Didn't do it the third time. I did not finish it. Okay. And so, yeah. So, uh, Race Across Oregon, it will be this weekend. It's 48,000 feet climbing in 1,000 kilometers which we need to do because of the order of Manitoba. I'm actually going to be late. I will miss the startup of the race. I will have to do it later on. So, Well, good luck. Thank you. <laughs> we now welcome into the studio Matthew Lehman, who is a table tennis player at the University of Manitoba. Matthew, how are you doing tonight? I'm um, good, thanks. Glad to be here. All right. So how did you get involved in table tennis? When did you first pick up a, a, a paddle? Yeah, um, I guess when I was six or seven, I, I liked playing ping pong just for fun with my family. And then I told my mom I want to play it as a sport. She said, I don't think you can play ping pong as a sport. But then we ended up finding with the Manitoba Table Tennis Association that there was programs in Winnipeg that you can play it as a sport. And I started doing that and I've loved it ever since. And we'll just get this out of the way now. Table tennis versus ping pong the distinction between the two is important. Yeah, yeah. So table tennis is more the the Olympic sport and the professional game, and ping pong is what you play in the basement. Um, that's the main difference. But it's ultimately the same, right? Yeah. Personally, I don't have a huge problem either way. Um, maybe some people have a bit more problems okay. with that. But So take me from then to now, the different kind of ways you can improve at your craft in Manitoba? Uh, so, yeah, you need to hit a lot of a lot of ping pong balls on the table. There's um, the provincial team here, and I've played through that. Um, yeah, you have to be really, you have to really want it and spend a lot of time in the gym. Uh, I also spend a lot of time in my basement. I have a table there. You have to, and, right? Yeah, I have, um, do a lot of practice with serves, and a table tennis ball machine that oh I can my. practice on my own. Um, so, yeah. Um, but, you, so do you have the table turned up? So you're just hitting against it to yeah, yourself? Yeah, everyone thinks that, but it doesn't quite work that way because if you hit it too hard, then it misses the table. But right. um, the ball machine just kind of shoots balls at you and has a big bucket and well, that's just handy. Has, has a new ball coming each time. Um, so that's good when, when you can't find someone to play with. I should get one of those. All right. So... When did you first know that you were good at ping pong or table tennis? When did you know that this is something that you could do as your sport? Uh, when I when I first started playing, um, I remember my coach, the two things he, he liked about me is one, that I'm left-handed, because that's really helpful, uh, just the way doubles works in table tennis, to have a left-hander. And also that uh, I was good at listening to directions, and I quickly started joining the, the provincial team and got to go to the junior national championships. And the first year I went in the under 11 category, my partner and I got the bronze medal. And the next year we won team event and doubles in under 11. So that was kind of cool and got to travel to Halifax for that and stuff. So that's when I saw the opportunity that table tennis um, could give me. How rare is a lefty in table tennis? Uh, it's actually quite common okay. um, in, in the top 
like 20 in the world, like more than half are left-handers. So mm. there seems to be some sort of advantage because um, more than statistically you'd think um, in terms of the population of left-handers, right. there's there's a lot of left-handed table tennis players okay. in the in the top level. What do you find easier, singles or doubles? Uh, I like I like doubles. It's kind of fun to, to play with a different person and um, have a little bit of the team aspect in there. Um, but singles... It's, it's, yeah, they're both different, both good, but. How important is communication in doubles? Because the ball is going so fast. Yeah, you have to alternate hits. You can't hit it twice in a row in table tennis, unlike um, other racket sport doubles. So um, in that case, you're not, you're never hitting each other. But you do need to kind of think about tactics and where to place the ball so the next person, your partner can get a good shot and whatnot. But do you have to hit it diagonally? Uh, just the serve. The serve you have to put diagonally, and then the rest you can put anywhere. Okay. Um, but you really have to have that chemistry with the player. Some people you can just play really well with, and some it just doesn't work. Um, the styles just have to to mesh together okay. well. How would you describe your style of play as a singles player? Uh, I would be an offensive player. Um, I like to say more close to the table than some players, um, and play with more spin is okay. what I like to do. Okay, so... You mentioned you're hitting balls all the time. Any kind of workouts you have to do to strengthen yourself as a table tennis player? Yeah, I do do um, strength and conditioning uh, in Winnipeg with the Canadian Sports Centre, Manitoba. And um, it's a lot of footwork stuff, a lot of leg stuff. Um, and then it does do a lot on your... Table tennis takes a lot on your shoulder because you're just doing repetitive movements a lot. Right. So my shoulder exercises right now are kind of rehab stuff since... Um, that's what I need, but it's a lot of footwork and lower body stuff is mm-hmm. usually what you're doing in the gym. Okay. Uh, so you also got to go to uh, Universiad in Italy recently, basically the World University Games. What was that like? Uh, yeah, that was a really incredible experience. I just got flew back in early, late last night, um, but it was it was a really cool experience. The, the opening ceremonies, um, so the Universiad is the biggest multi-sport games in the world next to the Olympics and walking in it has the full like opening ceremonies we walked in with Team Canada everyone with their red shirts and the Maple Leaf and about 30,000 people were in the stands and big cheers as they say Canada so that was definitely an unforgettable experience and how did you do uh it was it was a really tough uh tough competition um I was happy to make it out of my singles group and um in mixed doubles we had a really close game against uh, a team from Sweden and lost three two eleven eight in the last set, mm. um, but it was it was definitely really cool to be among some of the top players in the world. Was it a bit eye opening? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I've played internationally before, but not in this kind of big multi sport thing. So that was that was really cool to experience. Where does Canada sit in the overall power structure of table tennis around the world? Uh, it's it's definitely not the biggest sport in Canada. Um, in Europe and Asia, they have professional leagues, and it's a lot more ingrained in culture, and everyone kind of knows the sport. Um, it's slowly growing in Canada, and hopefully we'll get there soon. It but is still, I think the feeling here is that it's, you know, it's kind of a Canadian tire game that you buy a table, and you yes, play in your basement yeah. with friends, and you just mess around. Yeah, definitely that's um, that's the way it is here. I always get the comments like, do you sweat when you play table tennis, or do you change into athletic clothes? And... Um, hopefully someday all Canadians will know that it is a real sport. Yes. But it's in the Olympics. Yes, yes. Do you ever want to make the Olympics? Obviously, that's probably a goal of yours. Yeah, that's that's definitely a bit of a dream there. Um, 
one goal I have before that is the Commonwealth Games. Okay. Um, that the next one's in 2022, I think. Um, so that's that's a goal I have, and then after that, um, we'll see what's possible. And you're also receiving a Royal Pan- Princess Royal Pan Am scholarship. Yeah, yeah. I'm grateful to to receive that from Sport Manitoba. That'll definitely help my studies in university as well as my table tennis goals. So tell me about what you're studying. Uh, I'm in business at the University of Manitoba. Um, my major is going to be the actuarial mathematics um, major, okay. so a lot of math. Um, <laughs> but How's that going? Uh, yeah, the first I just finished my first year, and that went well. Um, yeah, looking forward to continuing that. How um, do you find the balance between training and school? It's it's definitely tough. You have to figure out how to manage your time. Um, lots of early morning practices or later in the evenings and trying to every week figure out calling everyone I can to say, hey, can you practice this day and right. things like that. Um, but it's definitely, you know, if you if you want it, you can you can make it work. How big is the table tennis community in Winnipeg? Uh, it's 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 not huge. Like everyone kind of knows each other. Um, it's definitely growing a new club just opened in winnipeg the first full-time training center in winnipeg just opened um and so a lot of new um, young players are joining so i'm i'm excited for the future um for that and hoping some of those kids will will follow in the footsteps um, in my footsteps um to compete more at the the international level Uh, that would be cool all right. Well, I appreciate you coming down. Congratulations on all your success, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in the Olympics someday. Uh, thank you. They say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but 25 years ago, oh, this didn't stay in Vegas. This stayed in everybody's memories, good or bad. It was for sure the worst anthem performance of all time, right? It was ahead of the Las Vegas Posse hosting the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. yes. It was the first ever home game for the Posse. And Dennis Casey Parks singing under the pseudonym Greg Bartholomew. Why wouldn't you just go with Dennis Parks? That's fine. He's like a a lounge singer in Vegas. Had the hair and the ego. And he only had a vague knowledge of O Canada. And when he sang it, it sounded more like O Christmas Tree. Now, two weeks later, he was brought to a game in Hamilton where he sang it properly, but still... This lives on in infamy. Oh, Canada. Not a bad start. Our home and native land. True patriot love. In all thy sons command. With growing hearts we see thee rise. The true and nope. strong and free. Also wrong. From far and wide, O oh Canada, we stand on guard for thee. From far and wide, O oh Canada, we stand on guard for thee. Why do you repeat that part? I don't know. God keep our land glorious and free. Oh, Canada, we 
stand on guard for thee. Big finish. So this game was sparsely attended, and uh, there's a lot wrong with that performance. A, all of it, and B, the fact that he had the sheet in front of him on a music stand. I don't know if it had the notes on it that he was supposed to sing or the words, because those weren't all the words. He did some of them twice for some reason, some of them wrong for whatever reason. (sighs) There are many reasons why the CFL's experiment in the States failed. I'm not saying this was a key part of that, but it is the Canadian Football League. And it is only right that we have teams in Canada. I get that. But maybe do uh, five minutes of research if you're going to sing the anthem. I get that there wasn't YouTube in 1994. You can't just cross-reference something, but... I'm sure somebody, anybody in Vegas, the first of all, the posse, if you're the posse, I know that down at Bell MTS place, when they do tryouts for anthem singers, they got to know the words to both anthems. And if you stay, you don't, you're gone. They don't even give you a chance. So what are the posse doing? Their first question should be, oh, hey, we're playing against Canadian teams in the Canadian Football League. Do you know the Canadian National Anthem? Oh, you don't? Instead of saying, all right. Greg Bartholomew, if that's your real name. I get why you went under a pseudonym now, because you suck. No, they just let him do it, and maybe there's a sign of things to come for the U.S. experiment in the CFL. Because it didn't work out too well, did it? Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow! If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?